you would please turn in your Bibles, chapter 13, we are looking at verses 7 through 10. We are at step 5 in the process of sanctification. Please follow in the reading of the Word of God. Now we pray to God that you do no wrong, not that we ourselves may appear approved, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear unapproved. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. For we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This we also pray for, that you will be made complete. For this reason, I am writing these things while absent, so that when present, I need not use severity in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not tearing down. Father, help us to hear Paul is wrapping up this letter. We are concluding an awesome study of reconciliation. And Father, I pray that each of us will hear the words of this man, a true shepherd. And that, Father, we will understand the urgency of the day. Our society is a mirror image of Corinth. And Father, may we understand that there is a battle a battle of impurity, a battle of immorality, a battle of sensuality. Father, please help us. Help us to walk worthy in this strange day and time. To you, my Lord, my King, in Christ's name, amen. We are actually in a section. The five steps of sanctification actually begins in verse 20 of chapter 12. But in its total context, it started over in chapter 10. Let me take you back a little ways. Chapter 10, because we are in a time, I've had conversations in the last couple of weeks, of people expressing to me and explaining to me the spiritual conflict that they are in. And I've had to correct them. Because it, it isn't Flip Wilson theology. The devil didn't make you do it. Okay? And that is what happens to us because, see, that goes back a few years. Adam and Eve. Okay? I didn't do it. The serpent tempted me. Well, it ain't my fault. You made her. Okay? Well, that didn't work out very well blaming somebody else. And yet we continue to do it today. Okay? And, and so I listened to all of this stuff on quote-unquote spiritual warfare, and it's, it's absolutely bizarre because the battle is truth versus a lie. And what I find is people will embrace the lie. And you just sit there and shake your head and think, as Jesus said, have you not read? There are times you have to take a stand on truth, and I'm going to deal with this a little more today, but you have to take a stand on truth, and it will make you uncomfortable. And then all of a sudden you realize you're trying to buy into the lie. And you can't do that. This is what it says. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we are walking according to the flesh. Do you see that? There are people who are charging that what the Apostle Paul was doing was all flesh. He was doing it in his own strength. Verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Okay, that is impressive wording right there, brothers and sisters. You are going to have to go against fortresses and you take no prisoners. It is to be obliterated, destroyed, cast down, scattered, nothing left. Here's what it is that we are fighting against. We are destroying, remember it? The destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. 
Okay, that sets the framework for what we are in. This isn't a compromise or a peace treaty. And yet I see people who are willing to compromise in the name of what? In the name of a lie? If I add a lie to truth, then doesn't it make it a better truth? And yet, how many people do I see who are trying to do this? They try to do it in their own strength. They're trying to do it in their own ways. And you know what? That's why I wanted you to see what the process of sanctification is. Why? Chapter 12, verses 20 and 21, it's repentance. You have got to change. You can't look at the lie and try to finagle it. Let me see if I can make the lie fit. You can't do it. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 13, there is discipline if you do not change. All of this is the process of sanctification. Why? If you're going to obliterate fortresses of speculations and lofty things, you had better be ready to fight. You can't just walk into it and say, well, can't we just get along? You can't do that. And the church has the responsibility to discipline, to point out that's not right. The church is not a place for healthy people. The church is a place for sick people. Then verses 3 and 4 of chapter 13, you must submit to the authority, divine authority. We struggle with that, people. You're not going to tell me you don't have problems submitting. Right? I, and it, to anything, into everything. No, I don't want to have, well, let's discuss it. Well, no, it's divine authority. There is no discussion. It's one of those, thus saith the Lord. Then verses 5 and 6 of chapter 13, we looked at that to see, okay, are you real? Are you real? If you hold yourself to the test, are you real? Because, see, if you can't repent and you struggle with discipline, because I've expressed it in this church before. Sometimes we have done it once publicly as we are commanded to do. But sometimes I have confronted people and as soon as I do, guess what? You don't see them anymore. Okay? Because they don't submit to the authority. Listen, I got no authority. But I do have this book. Are you real? That's what Paul gets in verses 5 and 6. Now he's concluding the meat and potatoes of this book. That's what we're coming into right now. And it's verses 7 through 10. All right? I call this submission and integrity. Step 5. Step five. Listen, I shared with you the heart of a pastor last week. Okay, out of Thessalonians. As gentle as a nursing mother, but exhorting, encouraging as a father. Okay. I have watched, and it's been around for a long time. It's, it's not a new phenomenon. What the people think that the pastor is supposed to do. And what I've learned is, is most people are clueless on what the pastor's supposed to do. Okay, we all have our little pet peeves. And I don't know, you know, I seen him downtown the other day and he didn't wave at me. He doesn't like me. You get all of this stuff. Well, you know, why don't you ever just have a time that we can sit and talk? Well, I kind of have a lot of time in the book. I also have a lot of time on my knees. And that's what the Apostle Paul says. Now we pray to God. Okay. I think, and I can back it up biblically, and I shall do it, that the single most important duty, task of the pastor. Now, when I say pastor, I look at the office as an elder. The task is a pastor. Poimia is the word we get pastor from, and it means to shepherd. Okay? But it comes from the office of elder. Okay? Now, if you're technically... If, if you think about it, if you're making disciples, which you should be, you are shepherding hearts. Okay? It may be someone that you're in a constant relationship with. It may be someone you're just passing through. But as, as you guide people in instruction of the word, you are shepherding their heart. 
I think one of the greatest tasks, and the reason that I think it's the greatest task, because I know how difficult it is, is to pray for the people. One of the blessings of being a small church, I can pray for every single one of you every single day. Okay, I know most of you well enough to know the things that you are struggling with. So my prayers can be extraordinarily specific every day. I mean, everybody says, well, I like to have a big church. Well, I don't know. I don't. <laughs> it may take me a little longer to pray. So and sometimes I already feel like I'm losing sleep. Okay, listen, Paul's life. I don't know any greater shepherd of mortals than the Apostle Paul's. Paul's life and his letters show constant intercession. Okay, let me go through and show you. This is why I think it's so important. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, many of you, I pray this on a daily basis. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Most people that call themselves Christians do not understand this. Okay, and if I'm hurting your feelings, you know what? I rest my case. Okay, then if you look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. All right. Colossians chapter 1, 9 through 11. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now understand, the Apostle Paul had never been to Colossae. But it's, once he's heard it, he says, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness, patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father. See, you stand when you know. But it's obvious if the Apostle Paul just took three congregations and say, I pray that you know that there's an issue. What was the issue? Chapter 10, first six verses. We are tearing down speculations and lofty things that are raised up against the knowledge of Christ. You also see it. First Thessalonians chapter three, verse 10. As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. What is that? Let me give you some spiritual insight so that your faith abounds. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verses 11 and 12. To this end, also, we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith and power so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only does he pray for churches and the people of that church, he prays for individuals. Second Timothy chapter one, verse three. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers. 
night and day. Now remember, this is Second Timothy is Paul's last letter. But he also paid for Philemon. Verse 4. I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of faith which is toward the Lord and toward all of the saints. Okay? So, when I say one of the most important things for a pastor to do is pray for the people. Pray for the churches. I pray for all the churches that we have our daughter churches in the lands of Russia and Azerbaijan and India and in Myanmar. But I also pray for the individuals. Every day. Because some of these guys got people shooting at them. We don't have that. We have the fiery darts of the devil. But, back to the Corinthians. There is a cloud hanging over this epistle. Because there is a cloud hanging over this church. I mean, the fact that these four letters had to be written is enough. If you look at 1 Corinthians, the first six chapters are rebukes of awful things. Okay? And part of that has lent itself for the people struggling with their loyalty to the Apostle Paul. The false apostles who were influencing the church and many of the of this congregation had been swayed. They were listening. And yet, he's, I showed you, he prays that your eyes of your heart will open to the knowledge that is there. Some were listening. There was some success of these false teachers. And they were changing the church's loyalty to the Apostle Paul. And he, if you go back through it and just hunt and pick, they were attacking him viciously. He had showed up the second, on a second trip there, and he surprised them. They weren't expecting him. And the false apostles got up and accused him falsely, that he wasn't genuine, and the church did not defend the apostle Paul. They were denying that Paul was even genuine. And they had convinced some that they should seek proof. Remember chapter 13, verse 3? Since you are seeking for proof of Christ who speaks in me and who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you. How did you get that? It came from me. I mean, that's crazy. But you know what? I see stuff every, almost every day, at least weekly, today, that challenges Paul. Now think about that. He's only the apostle to the Gentiles. And let's see, there's what, four or five Gentiles got saved? And it was from his writings in the power of the Holy Spirit? Really? He administered among the Corinthians house to house, day and night, for nearly two years. You can see that in Acts 18, verse 11 and 18. But we also see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, where he says, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. You saw it. You heard it. They had witnessed it. They were without excuse. They had plenty of proof. They were born again. And yet, the false came in with accusations when he wasn't there, and they started following and listening. They were turning from truth to a lie. And it's very subtle. A lie doesn't show up and say, hey, I'm a lie. Follow me. Okay, it lays parallel to truth. But what I find is it makes my flesh feel better. And if it makes my flesh feel better and it lies right next to truth, then it must be truth. And it's not. 
It's not. See, now Paul wrote this letter to affirm, to show, to remind that he's real. And he's doing it in the face of these false accusers. Until you've ever had, it, had this done to you, you don't understand it. You don't understand it. But what I've learned is, if you take a dogmatic stand on truth, the war will come. I don't have to go look for spiritual warfare. I'm going to stand on truth. You ain't moving me. Okay? I mean, I'm, I don't have a lot going for me, but I ain't going off of truth. The Apostle Paul is the one I follow. You were not going to make the Apostle Paul move off of truth. Let me be clear. I want to be very, very clear about this. The Apostle Paul was not guarding his own reputation. He could care less about what the Corinthians said about him. Okay? He was very aware that if the church turned away from him, it was turning from Christ. That's the issue. Listen. It would be natural. Wait. It would be human for Paul to go to Corinth and display his authority and power convincingly. I mean, he's the one who used spiritual gift to blind a man. I mean, he had some clout. All right? The false had mocked him. They had scorned him. They had mocked him and scorned him publicly before the congregation. They called him a coward. They called him a weakling. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. So he could legitimately, boldly assert his authority. Verse 10 of this text says, I am writing these things while absent, so that when present, I need not use severity in accordance to the authority which the Lord gave me for building up, not tearing down. I have seen this over and over where people will tear one another down, and I know it's a lie. Your gift is not for division. Your gift is for unity. If it causes division, it's not God's. I mean, he could, he literally could have put, put them in their place. And you know what? He'd have probably got a little gratitude out of it. But that's not what he was about. Paul was willing to display his apostolic authority if he needed. That's verse 10. Okay? But he did not do it to gain revenge. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Let him deal with it. You know why? Because he'll deal with it really cool. All right? Paul is very clear about this. Chapter 12, verse 20. For I'm afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish and may have and may be found by you to be not what you wish. I could come back angry. That perhaps there will be strife and jealousy and angry tempers and disputes and slanders and gospel and arrogance and disturbances. Verse 2 of chapter 13, I have previously said when present the second time, and though now absent, I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well, that if I come again, I will not spare anyone. That's the repentance side of sanctification. But listen, there's always the pastor's heart. The shepherd's heart. And Paul's heart was his concern for the Corinthians. Okay? Now, I'm still trying to figure it out. I don't know a church that I have studied in the New Testament that hurt a man more than the Corinthians managed. Okay? And yet he still 
reaching out to him. Because see, we know the verse. If they reject you, kick the dust off your sandals and walk away. See, that's not a shepherd's heart. It's not a shepherd's heart. He did not want to come back to Corinth and apply pressure. Instead, he says here, now we pray to God that you wouldn't do anything wrong and that you would do what is right because they now know what is right. His prayer was that the Corinthians would be submitted. See, we don't like that word. We despise it. Okay? But you know what I've learned? It is only through a submitted heart that there will be obedience. Okay? Anybody here ever argued with God? Okay, he'll show you something in the Bible and you, you look at it and you think, well, that's, that's not quite right. Okay, you know what that is? It's a lack of submission. I have a friend of mine, he goes around and says, it's not about you mastering the word, it is about the word mastering you. Why? Because once the word masters you, guess what? You have a submitted heart. See, if you have a submitted heart, what are you going to do with pride? Okay? It is the height of humility to be submitted. All right? And, and it's, it's, if you think about it, if as a parent, you've always tried to get your kids to listen to what you're saying. As a father, I want my kids to be obedient. Why? I'm not doing this to just make your life miserable. I'm trying to do this to keep you from making your life miserable. And yet, we all have kids, or most of us have kids, but the truth of the matter is, you may be blessed. No, sorry. <laughs> the, truth of the, the truth of the matter is, is that it takes a submitted heart to get an obedient child. That's why we shepherd their hearts to submission. That's why when I, I deal sometimes with different families and they're having issues with their children, I always try to get them to bring the word to bear. Because, see, then they have to argue with God. Okay, well, that never works out. But this is what the word says. That's why it says, children, what are you supposed to do to your parents? Drive them crazy. Make them pray for grandchildren. Because you can give grandchildren back. There. I don't want that one. Okay? But you see what I'm trying to get at? It takes a submitted person to be an obedient person. He prayed that they would make it unnecessary for him to show his authority and discipline. When he comes, they had repented. There's nothing if they had repented when he returned the third time then I don't have to confront nothing. Listen, I got news for you. As a parent and as a shepherd, I don't like confrontation. Okay? But there's a time as a shepherd and a father that I have to. But I pray that God will make it so that I don't have to. And you know what? Sometimes he does. Sometimes he asked me, do I believe this book? And I say yes. And he says, then confront it. And it is me being tested. The Philippians in chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. That you can approve the things that are excellent in order to, to be sincere and blameless in the day of Christ, being filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes to Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's Paul's deepest desires. You know what? That's mine. That's mine. I want to see every one of you bearing fruit of righteousness filled through it so that you can bring glory and praise to God. That your life, individually, your lives will bring glory and praise to God. And I want you to be able to approve the things that are excellent. 
and that you would abound more in the real knowledge and all discernment. Every one of you. Every one of you. That's a loving father. That's a loving shepherd. More concerned with the children's obedience than our own reputation. I see... uh, I guess it's a big thing now to get some kind of a bumper sticker or window decal of your church. And they put them on. And I've talked to a number of pastors that they may want to reconsider that. Um, Because um, I have seen some aggressive driving and odd hand gestures uh, from people with a little church decal on there. And you're like, perhaps you want to hang that upside down. (laughs) Okay, that's why if you go look online, I got Harley stickers. They expect it from me. <laughs> so, but but I, I, I see this and I'm like, you, you know, I don't know if you're selling those or giving those things away, but you may want to choose a little more, you know, a little differently. Because they, they asked me if I wanted to be a chaplain in town. And I said, no. And they said, why not? I said, I don't want to go see which of my people are in court. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I'd, I'd just as soon not know that information. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, you get to do ride-alongs. I don't want to be pulling over people in my church either. <laughs> so I will just continue to be as I am. It is crucial that the Corinthians accept the Apostle Paul as a true apostle. Rejecting him for the false is rejecting truth. That means that they have rejected the truth of the gospel and have accepted the lies of Satan. This is important, people. Very, very, very important. I have confronted people, um, and I try to do it very merciful. I mean, I will point out things in different ways. I don't want to give any illustrations. And I have watched the people leave the truth because it made him uncomfortable. Which tells me they wouldn't have submitted hard anyway. I mean, I don't just run around and, you know, badger people. I do it privately. Just as the Bible says. You know, what you're doing is wrong. It is critical for Paul to be approved by the Corinthians that he was a true apostle of Jesus Christ. And yet the Apostle Paul does it in a selflessness. And the main goal wasn't for himself to appear to be approved. That's what he says in the text here. Okay. That you do no wrong. Not that we ourselves may appear approved. It ain't about me, Paul says. He would gladly. Look at what he says, how he writes it. He would gladly, but you may do what is right, even though we may appear unapproved. He would gladly be unapproved if the Corinthians would submit in obedience. That's fine. As long as you submit to truth and you obey truth. Why? That they would be pure. They would be submitted. And it would be seen in their obedience. When people don't obey what the Bible says, I know they don't have a submitted heart. That's Paul's focus. All right? He does not care how they view him. All right? I remember early in my ministry, I was always concerned about how people thought of me. And then it dawned on me. That's irrelevant. Okay? I have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And you know what? I know for a fact, I've hurt a whole bunch of people's feelings in my 20-some years. But I never did it intentionally. I was doing it so that their hearts would understand what the king was about. Let the false and deceived followers go on considering him disqualified, Paul says. As an apostle, as long as the majority were living, submitted, obedient to the truth. The apostle knew that since God was his judge, 
It was unimportant what they thought of him. Okay? 1 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. Okay? God is my judge. How selfless was this? You know, one of the most mind-boggling texts that I have ever read in my life was written by this man. Okay? How selfless was this man? I want you to think about these words that I'm going to read. Okay? Because this text still to, to this day is mind-numbing to me. Okay? It is a challenge to me. Alright? This is how selfless, how intensely selfless the Apostle Paul was. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. That I have great sorrow and increasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ, for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. You know what he just said there? I would give up my salvation would Israel be saved. That's how selfless the Apostle Paul is. Let me ask you a question. You give up your salvation for the United States? One of my heroes of the faith, Robert Murray McShane. Young man, died young. Brilliant preacher. Part of the Scottish Reformation. Take my life or give me Scotland. That's a selfless being. That's selflessness. He had an overwhelming concern for the nation of Jews, his brethren. And if possible, he would be separated forever from Christ. Would Israel be saved? That's selflessness. I would give my salvation if my boys were saved. But you know what? I learned something. Paul's not the only one who done that. Listen to these words. By the way, that was Romans 9, 1 through 3. Listen to these words. But now, if you will, forgive their sins. And if not, please blot me out of your book, which I have been written. That's Moses. Exodus thirty-two, thirty-two. Blot me out of your book. Unless you forgive these people. And let's be realistic. They were a wonderful group. Let me give you some text. I want you to think about this. When you think about the Apostle Paul, when I think about the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6. This is the love chapter. Speaking of love. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoice with Truth. See, he's back to that word again. What is truth? Okay. Truth is the references of the whole of God's revelation in Scripture. Okay, that's truth. That's what the war is, people. The lie versus truth. And Paul rejoiced in truth. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. But we have renounced the hidden things because of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor adulterating the word of God, but in a manifestation of truth. He's one who rejoiced in truth. He is one who manifested truth. Chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians, verse 14. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, speaking of Titus, I was not put to shame. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, so also our boasting before Titus proved to be truth. So he spoke it. Second Corinthians 11, verse 10. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Okay, he lived it completely. 
So he rejoiced in truth. He manifested truth. He always spoke of truth and he lived it completely. That is his integrity. Listen, he says back in our text, chapter 13, for we can do nothing. Verse eight, for we can do nothing against the truth, but only for truth. Okay, chapter six of this letter, verse seven. In the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. How did he work it? Truth. I bring truth to bear. See, I wish that we could grab that and we would understand that. Our battle is not with demons. Well, they're fallen angels, with little pitchforks, and they spit green stuff out. No, it's a lie versus the truth. And if you don't know what the truth says, guess what? Sitting duck. It's no different than when Satan said to Eve. If you eat of this fruit, you will know as God knows. And he said what? If I eat or she don't know truth, I've got her. And it's that simple. John's Gospel, 17, 17. Colossians chapter 1, verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. James 1, 18. All speak of God's truth. John 17, 17 is Jesus' prayer. And it says, my truth I give them. If the Corinthians were going to live in obedience and submission to truth, Paul could not and would not discipline them. On the other hand, he was very decisive for the truth. If some of the Corinthians continued in disobedience, understanding that loving truth means that I honor it. The Apostle Paul loved truth. Guess what? He honored it. Paul would not hesitate to confront those who strayed from it. Do you understand that? You stray from the truth, there's consequences. Paul was decisive when it came to truth. Let me give you some text. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. A man who was in sexual immorality, he did what? Delivered him to Satan. Now, I don't know about you. That just doesn't sound that pleasant to me. Okay? But in 2 Corinthians, it would seem that the man repented. You hang out with Satan long enough, you're going to realize that eating your own vomit all the time is a little on the boring side. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Paul publicly rebuked Peter for hypocrisy. Now, let's, Peter got out of the boat. And Paul rebuked him because when the Jews showed up, he wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20. He put Harmonius and Alexander out for teaching error. And have Satan teach the flesh a lesson. He was very decisive when it came to truth. His willingness to be seen as weak as long as his children were strong is documented over and over and over and over. I don't care what you think. I don't care if I'm not an eloquent speaker. I don't care if I'm not much to look at. I don't care if I don't hold myself well. I don't care if I preach consistently with dangling participles. As long as the children were strong. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 9 through 13. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Ephesians 6.10, 2 Timothy 2.1, all of those he pronounces his weakness. Listen, he did not mind appearing weak to the world. Didn't bother him at all. 
even though I want you to understand something. This is one of the biggest things that is missing in the evangelical church today in the United States. Okay, this is something the Apostle Paul knew that the church in the United States does not know right now. I think she's going to get to learn it. Okay. Paul understood that though he actually ministered in the power of God. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse seven. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. Okay, see, he understood that in his weakness, he is strong. We don't do that today. We struggle with that. We believe that I have to have X gigabytes of information so I can be used. I will tell you this. If you will bow one hour a day to this book, you will be used. You will be used. And it ain't a matter about what you know. It is about what the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind when you are in it. Chapter 6, verse 7. In the word of truth, the power of God by the weapons of righteousness for the right and the left hand. See, Paul understood that when his weakness, that was his path to power. He knew that. He lived that. Chapter 13, verse 4. For indeed... He was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because the power of God. For we also are weak in him, yet we will live with him because the power of God is directed toward you. That's good stuff. Get your rear end out of the way. Let God do it. Be that earthen vessel with the precious treasure inside. It ain't you. It ain't me. And the greatest man born of woman was who? John the Baptist. Why? I must decrease. He must increase. What did he understand? I can't do what he does. Have you ever thought about that for a second? Exactly how many souls can you save? How many can you strengthen? Then why do you think you can? Why is it you think, well, they rejected it. I did it wrong. No, you didn't. You sow seed. Whatever happens, God does. But see, you think that you have to be successful. If you just share truth, you're successful. See, in his human weakness, the Apostle Paul allowed God's strength to flow through him. Do you understand that? I am but an earthen vessel. I am an old clay pot. I'm not even a cool pot. I'm an old nasty pot. You don't even want my pot out in public. You use it for the refuge of the house. That's what every one of us are. But the precious treasure is inside. Chapter 12, 9 and following. Remember this? And he said to me, this is when I implored the Lord three times. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected and weaknesses. So that the power of Christ may dwell in me. I am well content with weakness. Really? How are you doing with that? Are you content with weakness? So that the power of God may be displayed? Or do you think that there's something special about you and you should be allowed to just do whatever? I will take you back to what we're dealing with. Submission is the only way to obedience. If you're not content with your weakness, guess what? You're not submitted. If you're not submitted, you're not obedient. And you have stopped the process of sanctification. And you're a target in spiritual warfare. You will not be able to 
destroy fortresses of speculation and lofty ideas that are raised against the true knowledge of Christ. Okay? Submission. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our brother Paul, the amazing impact that he even has this day. Father, the amazing impact he's had for centuries. Lord, uh, may I strive to be as good a shepherd as the Apostle Paul. And yet, Father, may I understand all of my weaknesses. And boy, i got a bunch. And Lord, I just ask that this congregation, that we've done a lot in the world, that we'll continue to bow our knee and watch you do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could ever think or imagine. Help us, Lord. Help us have ears to hear and eyes to see. Father, let us understand we're supposed to hear twice as much as we speak. Father, may we understand that it is your glory and your glory alone. In Christ's precious name, amen.